You are listening to Life Sci AI, the podcast series. Building on series one, we bring you series two, where we are looking to bring you more innovative and amazing ways that AI is being used in the life science industry across Europe. Enjoy the episode. Hi, guys, welcome back to episode two of series two of LifeSight AI, the podcast series. And continuing the theme of twos, we have our first two guests in the, in the podcast today. And we're really thankful to have um, another application of AI being, um, being used in the life sciences. As everyone knows that series two is all about um, broadening everyone's horizons uh, and seeing what other applications we can, we can bring to you. And, Today, we're going to be focusing on, on molecular imaging and, and gene therapy um, with uh, an incredible biotech based in Paris. And I'll let them um, go into a bit more detail about who they are um, when I uh, sort of pass over to them. But we're really thankful to have uh, both Mark Lynch and Andre uh, Kiloski. I hope I pronounced that right, Andre. It's fine, it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> from um, Genomic Vision um, based in Paris. So thank you very much, guys, uh, for joining me. Thanks, thank you, Nick. I don't know who wants to go first, either Mark or, or Andre, and just sort of giving an outline of, of um, your role in Genomic Vision and uh, what you guys kind of focus on as well. Sure, uh, I can go first if that's okay, Andre. Yes, please. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, as, as mentioned, Nick, my name is Mark Lynch. I look after Genomic Vision's commercial and marketing department. I've been with the company since March 2021, so actually not the longest time. And I, before that, I was actually working in various other biotech companies based in Europe, but also in the United States. And I joined Genomic Vision because the technology is so compelling. Um, it's able to reach a level of resolution that other molecular methods just cannot do. And so it means that it's a technology that and a company actually that sits right next to all the big players in the molecular genomic space, such as next generation sequencing and such as real-time PCR. But it provides that resolution that's not quite possible by those other methods. And so what you'll, you'll see hopefully in this dialogue between Andre and myself is that it's a method that provides a view, hence genomic vision, into the biology of genetic diseases that isn't always possible by other methods. Awesome, cool, thank you. And Andre, what, what do you get up to at Genomic Vision? <laughs> you know, there are many ways how you can use artificial intelligence. And maybe the best one from my perspective is to use it for life science when you can basically help to cure some diseases, detect them, cure and invent new drugs to potentially save people's lives. And this is the base thing you can do as an artificial intelligence engineer. So you're the you're the head of bio IT, a, a new department. That's at, correct. Uh, Vision, and you you both joined very recently. Um, so I guess why did you why did you both join Genomic Vision? You sort of intimated it slightly there, Mark, from from your side. But was it some was it a company that you guys had? seen on the market a lot or did someone come to you about it or was there was there a step change because you guys think genomic vision has been going for about 10 10 15 years so was there a step change that you guys thought oh we need to get on board with genomic vision now 
Yeah. I mean, again, maybe I can start. So, I mean, I actually uh, joined, we had a, a changeover um, of CEO um, last year, I think it was. And actually the, the CEO, Dominique Remy-Renou, took over from our founder, Dr. Aaron Bensimon. Uh, Aaron is still here and helping us in the company, but Dominique is here to help to strengthen the, the kind of commercial execution. So in other words, building products from end to end, um, from start to finish, of course. And, and one of the reasons I joined is that Dominique and I actually brought new technologies to market previously in our previous roles. Uh, one of the things that we did was uh, establish the single cell omics market. For those that don't really know what that is, it's when you take a single cell and you can sequence and get all the transcripts from that single cell and understand any changes in cancer cell clonality uh, that is impacting caused by the cancer or caused by the drug. And so we established that previously. And to be quite frank, we want to relive that experience. <laughs> it was very exciting and, yeah. and really the innovation is key and that's what we want to do here. Yeah, so that's very similar to the episode previous with Quantum Surgical. Um, and if you guys haven't listened to that, go back and, and listen to it. Lucien Blondel um, had created a couple of startups and they got bought by various other um, bigger medical device companies. And now it's almost like he's getting the band back together at Quantum Surgical <laughs> to, to build again. So. Yeah, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what about, what about you, Andre? Because I know you, um, we were just chatting before um, we started uh, recording about your PhD and, and what you did previously. So oh. I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So actually for me, it was a bit similar to Mark. So I, similar in terms of motivation. Um, I started my career in Ornetics, where I was working on the physics-based computer vision. Then I moved to the telecom sector, when I was using also artificial intelligence, but for different purposes. But at some point, we, we had a very detailed discussion with Aaron, the founder of Genomic Vision. And we were discussing about the challenges and potential future impact that company may bring to the life science. And the possibility <laughs> to bring this product to the market, to, mm. to bring this technology to customers is something incredible. And I also want to live this experience. Yeah. Um, when moving across from the aeronauticals um, initially, what, what was the same and what's, what's a little bit different? From, from telecom and... Uh, yeah, so from your PhD, looking at, because we're, we're chatting about, you know, your, your physics PhD, but it was within um, fault detection in, in aeroplanes. Um, so someone who, for me, who doesn't like flying, um, <laughs> my my anxiety in life is in your hands, Andre. So <laughs> what what is different, I don't know, about, about the data or the restrictions or the approaches or techniques that you were using? And okay. you are now using now, perhaps, in, in life sciences. Ah, I will try to draw some parallel lines. So uh, <clears throat> when I was working in aeronautics, I was developing with a big team of other experts. I was working to, to develop basically a system which would survey the aircraft mm -hmm. and to predict its remaining lifetime. We were doing, we were implementing the set of sensors into the structure of aircraft and then collecting the signals in order to build the images, to analyze right. them, to, to predict the remaining lifespan. And there are some parallels with, uh, with the life science because at some point you need to take a huge responsibility 
on your product because at the end <laughs> your conclusions directly impact <laughs> the estimation whether the the plane can land or can fly yeah. or we should yeah. do the maintenance immediately or we can plan it in advance and this is something similar what we do here we analyze dna we try to see if everything goes well other some mutations so possibly we'll have a disease if yeah. we do the drug discovery does it work well so in terms of responsibility in terms of prediction accuracy they are quite on the same level yeah i see so it's like it's like that obviously life or death but the responsibility of your work then that you find that very similar and that was sort of the, the motivation really and you saw that quite an easy crossover in, in that in that point exactly awesome. okay. and at the end you still work with images <laughs> yeah exactly they, they, they don't change <laughs> they don't change yeah. maybe different but at the end it's an image yeah, for sure. And for yourself, Mark, were you always going going to go into into biotech, into life sciences, or was it? Yeah, for, a... yeah, for sure. Um, that, that was the only thing that I was ever passionate about at high school, for example. And then, of course, went into university and studied microbiology. And oh, really? and you know, it, you have a choice when you're in academia. You can either go down the route of getting a PhD and going through the academic channel, or you know leaving and, and trying to go into a more commercial environment and and that's what i did i went to a more commercial environment but actually i didn't find that all that interesting what was actually interesting was bringing new technologies to market and understanding the technology not necessarily yes. the technology and being able to convey that to new people mm -hmm. in the field being able to establish relationships with key opinion leaders and be able to advance their science we we bring the technology but ultimately yeah to our customers that advance this yeah and i guess that's that's kind of important to, to note about john mcvision is is you guys are a an enabler as as it were for the scientists um and for the, for the research so i don't know mark if you want to go into a bit bit of detail about sort of the three areas of genomic vision um because i know that's something that you, you're very passionate about and, and, and wanted to explain yeah, sure thing, Nick. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we can pretty much do many other applications, but there's really three key applications that we focus on as a company. Um, and actually, these applications tie into different levels of enablement for our customers. So the, the first kind of application that we work on is actually um, based on something called replication, um, which is really looking at cells and understanding how those cells divide and what impacts the ability of those cells to divide, for example, exposure to various environmental factors or exposure to drugs during cancer therapy. So our, our replication assay is really used as a research tool, um, as a research tool to understand potential drug targets, to understand the mechanism of how the drugs interact with the cells and repair those cells. And so we work with academic customers in universities, in hospitals, um, and even in some biotech uh, for that particular application to be able to understand the replication kinetics within cells. The other application area that we focus on as a company is to provide a tool to pharmaceutical clients. Um, a lot of these pharmaceutical clients these days are studying how cells can be edited to create vaccines. Of course, in this time of COVID, that's a big focus. Mm. 
um, how those cells can be edited to understand, again, different drug targets. And they use gene editing technologies such as CRISPR-Cas9 to do that. But there's a very critical part of the workflow by which you need to be sure that the edits that take place are in the correct place within the genome and to make sure that it has no adverse effects. And so a lot of these pharmaceutical clients, for example, Sanofi, um, use the technology to be able to understand that, to use it as a quality control method to be able to know that the edit that has taken place is in the correct place within the genome and that it has no adverse effect. In other words, it has the desired effect for the drug development. And so that's another big aspect of our mm. molecular combing technology. And the final one, which I leave to the last because it was actually the founding principle of genomic vision, is a diagnostic um, using the technology as a CEIVD test for rare diseases such as FSHD. And that application is leveraged across many of hospital labs um, in the clinics, uh, for example, in Latimon in France. Um, and we use that as a, a diagnostic test. And so that's another big sphere of how our technology is used. Awesome. And thank you for taking us um, through this. I guess for me, the one that picked out, well, this, this, the last one I just want to touch on in a second, but the second, the second one about um, sort of genomic editing, does this work in the workflow for the drug discovery? So does this make the, um, the research more efficient because you're, you're getting it checked before it goes through to any trials or anything through there? So it's just making it a more efficient process? That that's, that's exactly right. That's exactly right, Nick. And so it, it really does increase the efficiency. And any pharmaceutical client or customer or potential customer who is performing, you know, drug discovery studies or actually vaccine development, yeah, have to do this via conventional means. There's actually an old method called Southern Blot that can actually be used for this, but it's not quantitative and it takes a lot of time to actually do it. Our molecular combing technology is faster, more sensitive, and it gives a quantification result. It means that you know precisely if the edit is, is in the correct place or not. How early is this fitted into the process? Uh, it's pretty early. So normally these uh, the pharmaceutical labs would have their cell lines in kind of uh, cell development factories. It's essentially like a cell production site. Those cells are all, all cultured and cultivated. And it's actually right at that process where you would test that. You would insert the, the, for example, the gene edit. And then from that stock of cells, you would then apply the molecular combing technology. Oh, I see. I see. I, I guess if it's very late on in the process, it becomes very inefficient. <laughs> so <laughs> you want to get as early as possible. Yes. And the red, the, the red disease point is very interesting as well, because um, it's something that people within Cypro look at as, as well. And we actually have a, a blog series called Rare. So we do look at a lot of uh, supporting a lot of the, the rare disease and orphan diseases uh, clients across Europe as well. Um, so I guess what has been the impact um, within that piece for, for rare diseases? You mentioned a specific one there and um, for the diagnostic tool that Genomic Vision have, have um, been working on for, for a number of years. Yeah, I mean, the impact is pretty clear. Um, we are the market leader in FSHD, which is a particular type of muscular dystrophy. Yeah. And we, we, we are, our tool, our technology to be able to do that 
has been validated as a CEIVD. So it means that the wet chemistry required to run that test um, mm. is CEIVD. The hardware, the um, fiber comb system and the fiber vision system are also CEIVD. So it means that the hospital labs that choose to adopt that technology have a full solution that is validated as a CEIVD. That's very impactful. Now, to answer the other part of your question, Nick, related to what impact does that actually have mm, for those yeah. If that technology does not exist, they are again using old type methods such as Southern blot analysis. And right. the best way to think of a Southern blot analysis is almost comparing analog to digital. Analog kind of readout of a kind of band on a, a piece of uh, lab paper versus yeah digital readout where you actually get a value, a quantified value, but you also, to Andre's point earlier in the podcast, get the image of the DNA. So you actually see the image of the DNA of that fiber so that you can understand if that patient has got the insertion that contributes to the rare disease. And that's not possible via the analog-based approach. Yeah. To answer in a, a short way, it's very yeah. important what we provide yeah. for that market for sure and it's, it's fascinating that you draw the analogy of digital and, and analog the way you look at it because i remember when we had mark goldfinger from perspectum diagnostics on the podcast he was talking about their digital pathology product and he explained it in the exact same way it's almost like going from you're getting the lab from a typewriter situation <laughs> into a computer situation and everyone knows the difference between how good a typewriter is versus a computer. <laughs> so it's a really good analogy to use. And it's interesting that um, you worked on that. But I guess I wanted to delve into now um, the use of AI with, with genomic vision um, <laughs> and how you guys are utilizing it. And I guess I want to sort of bring it back into why. Why is this, why has Andre been brought, brought in and why would you say, taken aback, Mark, by the, the sort of the, the technology and really brought in to take a new product to market. I guess if we go for the very early stages to, to why this sort of came about within the business, perhaps. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'll touch on the start of that and then I'll hand over to Andre if that's okay for the rest of it. Look, it, it's the same old story with biotech, honestly. Uh, biotech companies are very good at creating the wet lab part. They're all generally wet lab scientists, meaning that they all came from a lab bench, pipetting samples into tubes or doing various other types of assays, whether it's yeah. you know, assays and so on. The problem with that is that you always leave the dry part, the analysis part, the analytical part is always left to this kind of old fashioned Excel sheet, trying to look at data <laughs> That is, <laughs> and, and it's really unusual to have a, a solution that goes from sample to answer, where the person doing the test, doing the experiment, is able to, to basically run it like you would run a, a mobile phone. Yeah. And so what we're trying to do with our bioIT function is to make the back end, the dry end of it, as good as the wet end. And that's really where Andre and his bioIT team come in. Andre? Thank you, Mark. Yes, as just Mark mentioned, the image processing part steps right after the wet part in order to complete the solution. So we have the, uh, so we cover the whole cycle from lab 
to the very end the comprehensive report which explains what are the what you have done what are conclusions and here we have um, several domain where we use AI its image reconstruction then we have the detection of gmc genomic morse code and segmentation and then we have data analytics and uh, you know we are using the fluorescence microscope yeah so basically when you acquire the signal a raw signal it's a monofrequency signal and at the end what you want to you want to reconstruct the conventional image that you can basically see on your on your laptop and understand so first of all what we do we scale each of the monofrequency component and then we fuse the stack of them to build the image which basically revealed the dna and the gmc right. code once we we have built the image we start processing it to detect the fiber first of all and mm -hmm. then gmc sequences on it and here we rely a lot on the convolutional neural networks to do the yeah. re detection and then do the segmentation so basically each pixel inside the re is assigned to the specific gmc signal and once we complete it with this we can do the analysis but here's the key the key problem of rather challenge the typical cover sleeve we're processing contains three to the power of 10 pixels so it's like 30 billion of pixels to process on each essay and you can see there's a huge amount of data yeah and if we deploy the convolutional neural network on the accelerator we can reach not only the human expert accuracy but also the fast processing speed and what we're trying what our is ultimate goal is to replace the human expert in dna mm. image analysis and interpretation with automated detection system which yeah. would be as much accurate as this person yeah i see so on the other use of cnn is it the fact that you're layering the, the micro the, the, the images to create the one dna does that make it easier for you to manipulate and have a very nuanced layering of the CNNs for that particular DNA? Do you do you, do you attach one one CNN to one layer of the DNA and then program then submit it through, or do you do you combine it and then run one CNN through all of them? Um, once image is combined, yeah, it's entire image that goes into the CNN. So basically, CNN is intelligent enough to understand what is the fiber and what are the GMC oh, sequences on it. Cool. And how bespoke are the CNNs that you're working on? I, I guess you can't really, you know, go up and grab them from, I don't know, TensorFlow library. And <laughs> you know, it's, I guess I guess what you're doing is so bespoke and cutting edge. You sort of writing them from scratch or you, how, how's that? Yes, um, indeed we. <laughs> <laughs> We do not copy paste the code. It would yeah. be such such efficient. So yeah. what we do, I will start from from the perspective and then we'll go back to details. Yeah. So genomic vision invests heavily into BIOT. And we have the capacity now to do our own fundamental research on the on the CNNs for genomic Morse code detection. And this fundamental research leaves with a company and we derive the specific let's say sub cnns 
for a specific problem to solve, for a specific uh, essay we would like to, to detect. Right. And that's why the question comes back to, to the fundamental research in AI. So what my team does, we basically split the work in two directions. First one is the research, and the second is the production part. But they are tightly connected. Okay. So are you, are you kind of creating your own bank of library for, of CNNs that's, that's going to be very much for your guides' use then? We do. We yeah. do create yeah, them our own. So cool. That's so cool. That's so cool. And then I guess the the one challenge that, that I always hear is is very challenging is you know getting it from the research and productizing it or put it into production. Mm -hmm. um, so different. What, yeah. So, <laughs> so what what challenges are you finding? And, and maybe if there's some solutions that you you want to share, then if you you want to and how detailed you want to go. But what, what how have you found that? Because like, and has that as a follow up. Has your PhD been quite um, real world focused? Going back to, to, to what you're doing with, with you know, plane detection, plane fault detection, has that, has that helped you understand what's needed to, to productize these algorithms? Uh, my PhD was a wonderful experience and I'll explain why. So the main objective here at General Equation is that we not only detect the GMC on the single cover slip, but we are sure that this detection accuracy remains constant for many others. So yeah. basically we reach some level of, let's say, uh, confidence in analyzing the whole set of essays. And this is a very different from research when you can basically run your small neural network on specific data set, which is well calibrated, which never changed and obtain very good yeah, results yeah, yeah, yeah. and publish yeah. a paper, right? <laughs> but real life is that your images are always different. The noise yeah. is always different. The shape of the signal can also change. <laughs> yeah. And where my experience from PhD comes in that when you do your PhD, you really go into the very, very detail of your of your solution and you basically need to understand every corner case yeah and this ability that's why i really like to work with people who who did just a bit of research in their life because they can go into the very depths of neural network and search the key reason why at some point neural network works perfectly and at some point it fails yeah. and basically it's a very difference between the production and the research <laughs> is that we need to fix all yeah all the yeah, issues yeah, yeah. So in the production that do not appear yeah so for you it's a mindset you know it's that mindset that you that you find it's, it's been successful correct yeah. okay. fascinating yeah. and then with the, with the um with the, the research that you're doing i know that you the impact you have is within degenerative diseases um, and research around around those. So we touch on different areas of the degenerative diseases. Anything from like very early stage neuroscience, and you know, and how the, the brain is affected, and you know, is it is it genetic or is it built up over time and stuff. So I guess where do you, where does where does genomic vision fit in to on a wider scale the degenerative diseases um, drug discovery research? I don't, yeah, know who take, I don't know who wants to take that, yeah. <laughs> uh, Andre, please chime in as always. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, by definition, we are really looking at the, the genome maintenance, right? By definition, that's what we're doing, right? And, and what we mean by that is that we look at the replication 
In other words, the replication of cells, how they divide. But we also correlate that replication and how those cells divide to what impact it has on the chromosome. And so by, by looking at that in a kind of dual mode, what we're really trying to do at Genomic Vision is understand genome maintenance. Right. Um, and what that provides insight to is diseases like Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's all forms of neurodegenerative disease, whether it's early onset, whether it's late stage, all of our customers are interested in that. And that's a key aspect for us. Mm. The other key aspect for us at Genomic Vision is how that impacts cellular health, right? And, and what we mean by that is we've got this great technology that can understand why and how and the impact of cells dividing based on environmental factors, based on drugs that are being used for uh, chemotherapy and cancer. But what we also want to understand is what, what effect that has on aging, not on cosmetic aging, yeah. but what impact that has on the aging body. What is going to happen to you in 15 years, 20 years? And that's a whole other market of cellular health. And that's something that at Genomic Vision, using genomic maintenance, we really believe that our technology could fit and provide key insights to that other technologies simply cannot do. Oh, awesome. So it's very much the aging of the gene that yeah. you're looking into and tracking. So how would you track that from somebody like on a really like layman's basic term, say we've got like an 18 year old, would you, would you go in and take their genes out and then analyze it and every five years you would do that? Is that where we're kind no. of heading to, or is there a, a, a different solution question. to that? <laughs> 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 the great thing is that governments all over the world have already funded studies to do this. So there's, you know, there's biobanks that exist in every single country um, and various consortia that run these, these, uh, these biobanks. For example, right. in the UK, we have the, the UK Biobank, okay, where these samples have already been taken. They're sitting in freezers at minus 80 or in cryopreservation if they're cells. And so the technology really works in being able to go back to those samples and look at them over time and right. see how those samples have changed you know, over the years. So it, it really is part of a, an ongoing process. And really one of my roles at Genomic Vision is to make sure that the company, that the sales and the marketing team are engaged with those biobanks to make sure that our molecular combing technology is being used to study such research. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> so I guess not every not going into our GP every five years to get our genes checked and coming out. Maybe, I mean, you never know. Someone, you know, we talk about things now where we're getting into a cloud-based diagnostic systems for strokes. Like, who would have thought that? Like, Google Health released their first um, uh, cancer detection mobile device. Like, it's, it's crazy. So maybe in 20 years' time, we'll be having a conversation where we can analyze our genes on our phones or our next <laughs> device, whatever it happens to be of that time, you know, yes. something, something very Iron Man based around that <laughs> Tony Stark. Um, but I, I guess also I'd be really keen to know, because I know you guys are really focusing on, um, and Andre touched on it, is the automation of the image analysis, um, taking it off an expert, pretty much like not like not like taking over someone's job in a, in a way but looking at how can we 
how can we shorten the research timeline by reducing the analysis time needed and also the training needed for that specific person? So I guess I hand it over to you guys just to explain what that essence is and, and how you guys are looking to achieve it. It's very important to, to automate the system if you want to, to become the enabler at, at the very basic of things. And so our technology becomes this enabler for other customers, partners. Mm. And the <clears throat> maybe the, the main point here is to say that the artificial intelligence is very good on the specific domain of application. So if you can basically define the boundaries where you apply the AI, you can reach the tremendous results. Mm -hmm. That's what you see, for example, on the neural network, doing classification, doing the image restoration, doing, I don't know, video, like yeah. super resolution with Netflix does, for example. And it's pretty much the same mindset that we have in genomic vision. So we're trying to approximate and we don't try, for example, to, let's say, to take the job from our, someone else. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're trying to approximate some specific skill of the experts that does the image editing and be completely automated and basically um you know we're not only developing the core algorithms for image analysis we also develop in the web application where each blocks of the image processing are synchronized and are integrated into the application so basically we provide the whole solution where basically the scientists needs to simply click a single button to run everything from the very beginning right. to the real yeah. report, the comprehensive report explaining what you did. And this is about the automation we do for image reconstruction, image analysis, mm. data analytics at the end, comparing the control groups with the testing groups and doing some predictions on the next yeah. steps. Yeah. A question for you then, guys. Would you, are you considering using the cloud um, as well in what you're doing? Because I know there is, there's, there's one project that are utilizing the cloud to help the repetition um, of research. So somebody could use a device, run a piece of research, um, image, it's an image analysis system in the University of Manchester, for example. Then they upload their analysis, they upload their report onto, their, onto the, the cloud system for, for the, the product. Then somebody in University of Sydney can take the exact parameters, the exact conditions, upload it onto the, 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 the device. It runs it, analyzes it on their, their data. And then they can, they can combine and they can, they can talk and they can analyze and compare and contrast. So is that something you guys have looked into? This is very good question, Nick. <laughs> Idea <laughs> is wonderful on this basis. Yeah. But, <clears throat> uh, and we actually work on it, honestly. Mm. However, uh, today at current communication and bandwidth, with, right. for example, 4G technology, it's not really possible. Yeah. So we're starting to look into the 5G, how we can adopt this technology to really put everything in the cloud to do it immediately. Yeah. Um, that's why we are... <laughs> closely working guess, with different partners. Yeah, like you said, how, how many um, pixels is it per picture? Exactly. <laughs> like, we have added billions of pixels per image. Yeah, you'll, you'll be waiting there for ages for it to upload. So. 
But in the same time, we're working on the compression algorithms to basically compress the data and make it much more easier to, to transfer. So that would be the, the key. If you we can if you can harness the the, the the 5G interconnectivity with the compression algorithm. With the compression, it, exactly. It'll make it a smoother process to potentially. And then it yeah. can rely on the full cloud solution without any yeah. delays, any locks, and it'll be yeah. wonderful. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how you get there. <laughs> see how you go. Um, but that that was that was fascinating, gents. And we've got a maybe a a bit of a bit of a, a, a scene to the future as to where you're going. Um, but I don't know if you guys wanted to touch on actually the, the future for genomic vision, because I know you guys are really going places uh, and some pretty big goals in the next 12, 24 months. So I don't know if Mark, you wanted to give like an overview of where people listening or watching this can hopefully see you guys in the next 12 to 24 months. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I guess the most uh, important part is really to stress the bio IT part. Um, we really invested heavily in BioIT and seeing some of the outcomes before the end of the year is very important to us and our customers. And so one of the things that you'll see on our website is that we announced our Fiber Smart, um, which is actually our first artificial intelligence based solution for automated image analysis. And that is going to be, if you like, the stepping stone to get us where we want to go. Um, yeah. And I don't want to go into too much detail for that, right? Rise <laughs> into what we actually want. But, but certainly, I would say, Nick, that looking at the fiber smart and and taking a look actually for listeners, you go to our website, you'll actually see the press release on it and what it enables for that type of replication analysis that we spoke of, for the type of diagnostic analysis for rare diseases like FSHD. Yeah. That's a critical element, and the other kind of element to it is making sure that we are as a company really focused on things like genome maintenance um, making sure that we are we are the company that the community come to for being able to understand structural variation in the genome in an automated yep. fashion and linking the disease effect to the aging process of cells. That I think is critical. And that taps into a whole range of different applications in pharmaceuticals, in research, and of course, in diagnostics. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, it's exciting. And so we will all probably be watching with bated breath and uh, hopefully the Fiber Smart gets the, gets the sort of, I don't know, the traction or it proves that you guys and validates the work that you're doing and you can take the next steps uh, moving forward. But this was fascinating for the first two, well, series two in episode two and all the twos, <laughs> it was really good. And um, yeah, I guess, I don't know if you guys wanted to touch on how, how to people can reach out to you. Um, there's probably some discussion points that people may have. I don't know if LinkedIn is the best way or, or what um, for you guys. Absolutely. Uh, we, our LinkedIn channel is manned by the, the marketing team. So if anyone wants to reach out via LinkedIn, they can. Both Andrea and I are individually on LinkedIn. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> do that as well. That, that is not a problem. And, and if, if that isn't what people want, you can also uh, email us. And our contact information is on the Genomic Vision website. So it's genomicvision.com. Awesome. Brilliant. Thank you very much, guys. Absolute pleasure. And um, yeah. Good luck and I hope you will uh, see some successes. Thank you, Nick. Thank you so much for listening to that episode of LifeSite AI, the podcast series. 
If you would like to listen to any of the other series or episodes in this series too, then please go back and listen to them on either Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast hosting service. Alternatively, you can find out more and listen and watch to every episode on cyproglobal.com. Thank you and see you next time.